Alleluia, Christ is risen. I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peter is in the habit of jumping out of boats. Early in their ministry, the disciples were in a storm-tossed boat, afraid, only to see Jesus walking towards them on the water. Peter asked to join him, but soon became afraid and began to sink, an early sign that Peter would struggle as a disciple. That failure was followed by others for Peter. His original refusal when he was first called as a disciple saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. His misunderstanding during the the transfiguration when he wanted to build dwellings so that they could stay on the mountain. His jealousy of the beloved disciple. His proud declaration that he would never, ever leave Jesus. Even though all become deserters, I will not. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death, he promised. And that was followed so quickly by the scene of Peter warming himself by a charcoal fire during his triple denial of Jesus. I do not know the man, he sputters three times. Peter, always impulsive, finds himself over and over again in deep water. And now, now he has lost everything. His leader, the one he loves, had been taken away, crucified. And though Jesus is risen, that fact doesn't seem to have changed Peter yet. Perhaps he just cannot take in the enormity of the risen Lord. Perhaps his deep shame over having betrayed his friend, the one he promised he would never leave, the one he promised to give his life for, Perhaps that shame is so overwhelming that Peter just returns to what he knows best, boats and fishing. Peter has been stripped of everything. His position as leader of the disciples, his own sense of self, his hope in the future. And yet... And yet, somehow, Peter has also been changed. Changed by his time with Jesus, changed by having all stripped away so that he is absolutely naked and vulnerable, no longer trying to prove himself. So when the risen Lord appears on the shore this day, Peter responds with his usual enthusiasm, but this time he gets it right. He leaps out of the boat, practically naked, into the sea and swims towards Jesus on the shore. And in this leap out of the boat, so different from the first, in this leap, Peter's redemption 
begins. You see, in this leap, Peter's not relying on himself. He's not dwelling on his sinfulness or on what he ought to do or should boast about. Instead of being ashamed, Peter now rushes towards Jesus with a complete lack of self-consciousness, trusting his friend whom he knows offers love and forgiveness. When he gets to shore, dripping, eager to greet Jesus, Peter must have been brought up short by the smell of that charcoal fire. The smoke curling up into his nostrils reminding him of the last charcoal fire, the one where he tried to warm body and soul frozen by his denials of his friend. But then our merciful risen Lord walks Peter through what I think is one of the most tender scenes in the Bible. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. A second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Finally, a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, now hurt, said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. There's no bragging here. Now Peter just humbly offers love. There's no punishment here, no insistence on groveling apologies, just our merciful Lord offering Peter redemption in the face of shame and grief and regret. Jesus cannot reverse Peter's sins, cannot undo them, but Jesus can redeem them. By offering Peter the chance for a triple proclamation of love, Jesus redeems his thrice-fold denial. And in doing so, he restores Peter to himself and to relationship with God and his community. Peter is now free. That is how our Easter God works. Peter is willing to go naked to Jesus to confess, not belief, not his sins, but love. And the love between Peter and Jesus redeems a terrible loss. When we are stripped of all, when we are mired in guilt or shame, grieving something we have done or something that's been done to us, but so naked, so vulnerable that we are no longer relying upon ourselves but on God, God can redeem whatever we've done.
whatever's been done to us. This past week, some of you may have read the revelation by the most reverend Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, that he has discovered that the man whom he thought was his father all these years isn't. Through DNA testing, the Archbishop has found that his father is actually Anthony Montague Brown, former secretary to Winston Churchill. This is the stuff of tabloids, of course, but what I found astounding about it all is the beautifully honest and vulnerable way in which the Archbishop has handled the news. In his essay about this discovery, the Archbishop describes his chaotic childhood, being raised by alcoholic parents and his father's eventual death by alcoholism. But he also discusses his parents with great tenderness, forgiving their foibles, praising his mother's recovery. And he makes clear that this revelation is by no means the most difficult thing that he and his wife have had to face, a reference to the death of their infant child years ago in a car accident. At the end of the article, Archbishop Welby reveals how he is able to lead a life of humility, transparency, and faith. The Archbishop writes, I know that I find who I am in Jesus Christ, not in genetics, and my identity in him never changes. And then he tells this lovely story about his inauguration as Archbishop. At the outset of my inauguration service, a young member of the Canterbury Cathedral congregation said, we greet you in the name of Christ. Who are you and why do you request entry? To which I responded, he says, I am Justin, a servant of Jesus Christ, and I come as one seeking the grace of God to travel with you in his service together. And so he asks, what has changed now that he knows his father is not his father? What has changed? Nothing. It strikes me that the archbishop has chosen a vulnerability, a nakedness in his life that leaves him radically open to Jesus and his question, do you love me? And in that relationship, God has been able to redeem the sorrows of Archbishop Welby's life as he has taken on following Jesus. His pains are not removed. His parents were still alcoholic. Who he thought was his father isn't. His child will not be brought back. And yet, and yet, it's so clear that the archbishop is redeemed, restored, free in Christ.
We humans spend a lot of time trying to prove ourselves by being good or efficient, smart or powerful, rich or attractive. There are so many ways to rely on ourselves, to fix ourselves. For as the priest Henry Nouwen writes, it's easier to be God than love God. But loving God, loving Jesus, being naked before him is the only way we get to redemption. It's the only way we are free. Beloved, our God is merciful and forgiving. Our God is a God who redeems. And God knows I need all of that. God knows how often I have screwed up. God knows how often I have hurt others with angry words and thoughtlessness and worse. God knows how I've been hurt and still bear those wounds. And I bet you're not so different from me. Perhaps you've really messed up too. Perhaps you've been really hurt too. But beloved, if Jesus can forgive Peter and redeem his denials by transforming them into love, if God can redeem a chaotic childhood with an alcoholic father into an archbishop who centers his whole identity on Christ, then God can redeem the messes we have made and the hurts we have suffered. For our Easter God turns crosses into thrones death into an empty tomb, the triple Christ denier Simon into the rock Peter on whom our church is built. He can even turn Saul, the persecutor of Christians, into the Apostle Paul. Our God can redeem anything, even me, even you. Amen.